Welcome in to the Switch the Pitch podcast. As always, my name is Jake, and this, of course, is the Switch the Pitch podcast, special edition this time, uh, because we are going to talk about the Olympics. For those of you who have never joined us before, we are Switch the Pitch. Welcome. And what do we do exactly? Well, we aim to literally switch the pitch and bring more inclusion to the world of soccer media. Joining me today is a very good friend of mine. And someone I've gotten to know very well over the past couple months for multiple reasons, uh, which we could do like six podcast episodes on just that. Uh, but someone who I had not just a friend, not just a fellow fan, but also a fellow colleague in the media world. And that is Sam Kasner, the co-host of Tried and True. And Sam, how are you doing today? I'm doing so well. Thank you so much for having me. What a what a kind introduction. <laughs> uh, enjoyed getting to know you so well, and I'm excited to dive in today. Yes. So as we said, uh, normally my normal co-host Darby can't join us today, which is unfortunate, but don't worry because we are going to have a new podcast episode coming out for you soon here sometime later this week. But this episode specifically is going to be a postmortem focusing on specifically the U.S. Women's National Team, what went right, if anything, what went wrong, a lot of things. Um, So we are going to spend some time doing that and kind of just try to break down everything. Sam, um, I know you kind of stayed up late night with a lot of us. I remember our very, very interesting Twitter-like exchanges where we both tried to cover the games at 4 a.m. So before we get into the specific details, what specifically for you, in in terms of a good thing, will you take out of the Olympics, whether it's a memory of waking up at 4 a.m.? What what are you going to look back on and be like, this was kind of a cool experience? Um. Yeah, I mean, I guess the 4 a.m. wake up calls, there's de- or definitely a sense of camaraderie with those of us um, on Twitter. <laughs> I um, definitely was half asleep for some of those games, I will admit. Um, I rolled over and pulled it up on my phone, um, woke up my poor partner in the meantime. He has a much earlier wake up call for work than I do. <laughs> um, so he wasn't able to wake up. But yeah, watching on my phone, switching over to Twitter, kind of getting a sense of what everyone else was feeling because I think the early morning coupled with what we were watching happen on the field was really throwing everyone for a loop. Um, so it's a little bit of a sanity check and I appreciated being able to chat with you in those moments. Sure. So that's the, that's probably going to be the high point of this podcast. <laughs> just so everybody knows, because from here we're going to dive right in. So um, first and foremost, I asked this question to Darby at the start of the Olympics when we did our podcast previewing everything. And I said, would anything less than a gold medal be considered a failure? And Darby's response was absolutely. Um, And I brought up the fact that in this exact situation, four years ago, going into the Olympics after a World Cup, you know, everyone was like, oh, the U.S. arguably probably going to win gold. And then we all know what happened with Sweden, who is quickly becoming the number one most hated country among U.S. (laughs) soccer fans. Um, So I asked to you, does bronze feel like a failure or after having a couple of days, does it still feel like an achievement or is it kind of like a middle ground? So I think based on the performance of the women who played on the field, it feels like an accomplishment. <laughs> um, I don't know that we were necessarily the third best team in this tournament this year. Um, given the context of what all of our hopes were and the expectations going in. And I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it, but the people who were left off this roster, the attitude of this roster going into the tournament, um, given that context, I would say that not making it to the final is definitely a letdown. I'll say that. Um, Had we made it to the final and played a lot better and gotten the silver, it would have been disappointing but I wouldn't have necessarily even called that a failure. I think the goal was just getting into the final. Um, And then, I mean, hopefully getting that gold, nobody's ever done it, right? Nobody's ever done the World Cup and Olympic gold medal. So we knew it was a large feat going into it. Um, But overall, very disappointing given everything. Yeah, I I have to agree. I think that, you know, um, myself, I expected like most people going in that this team would be, a force to be reckoned with. And to be fair, going into the Olympics and all of the games leading up to it had given us no inclination of what we were about to watch. Like 
you know, you've you've seen sometimes with these teams that win the World Cup, even the classic German teams of, you know, domination of the World Cups that they won, you you look and you can sometimes see going into Olympics or tournaments that they have these moments where you kind of see a chink in the armor. But going into the Olympics, the U.S. looked like not only were they firing on all cylinders, but that this was like almost a hellbent mission. Um, and we'll start with the Sweden game because I think that's just we'll start there. Um, I remember waking up for the Sweden match, um, very excited, very, you know, eager to see, kind of get that revenge out of the system. Like it was a revenge game for me in my mind. And, um, you know, as I watched it unfold, I kind of just watched in awe um, as the team fell apart. And I knew kind of within the first 15 minutes, something like didn't look right. Um, And I remember putting a tweet out saying that uh, Sweden is lucky to, to be like is lucky we are lucky to only be like tied right like we easily probably should have lost that game to sweden like seven or eight to nothing um so looking at the sweden match was there a moment that kind of stood out for you where a light bulb went off and you said oh boy this is gonna be a long tournament um i don't know i think at that match i was still eternally optimistic as is my character um that we were going to be able to pull it around i'll completely agree with you um it was a little bit of like a a budding rivalry and it was a revenge match and i was i thought that would be extra motivation for this team to step out on the field and really prove that the mistake that happened five years ago was a mistake and um we absolutely should have won that game and I don't know, we, we kind of, we beat ourselves in this game. And I think that was maybe the first red flag, but Sweden played a really great game. But I'd say the thing that stuck out to me was our team's inability to complete passes and to really have any attacking mentality in this game. It was troubling and shocking. It was like the whole team collectively had a bad game, which, I mean, we haven't seen from this team. It's probably the worst I've ever seen the women play in my life. Yeah, I have to agree. Um, I I think I remember saying something like that where it's, you know, I've been alive for 28 years now and I cannot remember a match where I've seen the women just played off, um, just played off the field. Uh, it was to me something that I think everybody will remember where they were almost similar to the Trinidad and Tobago incident yep. where, you know, if you were alive and you can remember like you're going to, you're going to remember that. And I remember putting out a tweet after the match being like, you know, I really can't think of a time where the women played worse than that. And the first question that went through my mind was, did we play poorly or did the rest of the world just get caught up? And the biggest, the biggest question, you know, I, I had after the match was everybody was talking about how this was going to be a super easy tournament. Mm -hmm. Um, But Three of the four best teams from Europe weren't there. Yep. Um, because the qualifying for Europe is stupid and this tournament should be expanded, but that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> um and I just remember kind of looking and going, like, this is what what went wrong here? And is this is it that we were underprepared or was it that the rest of the world is caught up? And so I guess for you after that match, specifically after the Sweden match, were you in a place of full-blown panic or were you in a place of maybe we just got hit maybe it was hot like what was your mindset coming out of that match I think I was a little worried again at the way we approached the match and the way that we were not able to turn it around like you said at halftime we absolutely should have already been down and it was frankly a blessing that it was zero zero so in my mind halftime was such a big indicator to me of how is this team going to go in the locker room what is Vodko going to say and how are we going to turn things around and then we did not do that. Um, so that's what made me a little bit anxious. Again, the eternal optimist, I thought, okay, you know, everybody loses sometimes. We're not used to that with the women's national team, but everyone does have to lose sometimes. So maybe this is our loss. It'll kick us into gear for the tournament. Um, unfortunately, we did not necessarily see that happen. Um, but yeah, I, was, I, I wasn't hitting the panic button yet after the Sweden game. I think that's a fair a fair place to be looking at the Sweden game. You know, we look at the statistics, obviously that was a three, nothing loss. Um, and you know, 
like a lot of people, I was sitting there and I was like, okay, well, maybe this is a spark that gets them because they showed signs of life. It's not like they were completely devoid of life. At moments there were sparks, but it was not, it was not really all there. Um, (laughs) And you can even see in the statistics, which I think don't tell a fair story, but Sweden outshot the U.S. 16 to 13, and there was no Sweden had the majority of the shots on goal nine to six. Um, But what spoke to me was that the U.S. in the Sweden match just never really seemed to have chemistry. And then there were some really questionable substitution decisions. Um, I thought that tactically, um, and we're going to talk about him later, but I thought that tactically Blackco did a horrendous job from start to finish for this tournament. Um, You know, Jill Ellis, when she led the U.S. to what was arguably and is still the worst performance for them in an Olympics, the women specifically, did not get fired. Yep. Um, this, in my opinion, despite the bronze medal, is worse than that performance because that performance was arguably just, they both teams played really hard and it came down to PKs or spot kicks and it could have gone really flip of a coin. Mm -hmm. This, I think we fell ass backwards into a bronze medal. Um, so, you know, you look at the Sweden match, I think, is that the match where they subbed off Alex Morgan at the end of the first half? Um, and like, for some reason that was the decision down one zero to take off Alex. And that, that to me was a big red flag. Um, was there anything to you that really stood out as a red flag tactically? Um, I was surprised, honestly, that Julie Ertz didn't start. Um, I think everyone really expected that. Um, and she, there were a lot of questions going into this tournament about that number six position, right? And of all the people who did end up on this roster, I think everybody's written in pen name for that number six position would have been Julie. And the fact that she didn't make that start, I think, like you said, was really an indicator of Vladko's really, really questionable lineups and substitutions throughout the entire tournament. Yeah. Um, and so you go from that kind of, shell shocking three nothing loss and we all kind of try to pick ourselves up and we knew we had new zealand next which you know new zealand still new zealand but a lot of us probably not as confident as we were going into the tournament but still pretty confident we should win that match um and then you know they end up going out and winning six to one and everyone's like okay well maybe maybe it was just nerves or the heat or any other number of situations um, that it could have been. Um, and you look at the, you look at the six to one, the six to one match. And um, you kind of, you look at the statistics and it tracks like the U S dominated possession, 62% had a lot of shots. Um, you know, they, they specifically had expected goal four numbers of 1.04 and all of that adds up to like, okay, um, this this is what you want to see, right? But even in that match, I don't think the team played super great. I think they just happened to score a bunch of goals, which I thought may have been misleading. But at the time, I was more than willing to accept. What was your thoughts going into the 6-1 match and then breaking that down? I I completely agree with you. Um, I think those who you know, didn't wake up for the game. This game was at seven, right? So it was a little bit later, a little bit easier to wake up for. But regardless, you know, the people who didn't watch the game, got on Twitter later, thought, oh, 6-1, we're back at it. We're ready to go. And um, that wasn't the case for me. I mean, two of these goals were own goals, right? So (laughs) just talking off the fact that it was really 4-1, I was disappointed that we didn't get that shutout. I think that would have done a lot for the confidence of the team. Um, and frankly, New Zealand's one of those teams that we should be beating 6-1, but I'll agree with you that we didn't look super strong while doing it. So even though we were able to get that win in a must-win game to move on in this tournament, it wasn't something that we were really able to build off of going into Australia, which I know we'll get to next, and that's a whole different issue. (laughs) (laughs) Australia is a whole block of this show. Um, Yeah, you know, I think... I think, again, you're absolutely right that people woke up and saw the scoreline and were like, okay, this makes sense. But if you actually go back and watch the replay, again, it didn't look cohesive. There was It looked a lot like a disjointed mass. The, the tactics and the form just looked like strict chaos. And then again, you know, you look at the substitution decisions, not great. Um, and realistically, you know, our... <laughs> 
I don't really feel comfortable saying that the team deserves to win that game six to one. I think that four to one, realistically, if you take away the two own goals, uh, but like they didn't, they didn't look like the team that we should look like. Um, and I think, and I said it, I said it on, on my article and I, I briefly touched on it in the BBC, but I feel like we, as the U S when it comes to women's soccer need to approach major tournaments in the same way that major soccer nations approach with their men's team, which is that, you know, we'll take Mexico, for example, Mexico approached the gold cup with a, this must be one or it's a colossal failure and people will have to pay for that mentality because in their mind, their a team should not lose to anybody's B or C or we shouldn't even be a contest. So the loss of the U S in the finals was earth shattering for their federation. In the same way, I think we need to take that approach being the leading women's soccer nation in the world as it is right now. We have to have the same you know, standards for our women's team, which is that anything short of, I don't want to say perfection because I understand it's hard, but 100% effort and putting out the best product should be looked at as a failure on multiple levels. What would you say to that? I, I agree. And frankly, I think that the mentality of perfection was what we saw when we watched the Women's World Cup that I mean, Jill Ellis in interviews was saying I'm having to tell them to calm down and practice because they're treating every practice like a game and they want to do everything perfectly. And they're hitting really hard tackles and they just want to be the absolute best players that they can be to the point where again, it wasn't even in the game. It was anytime they had a soccer ball at their foot, they were going 100%. And we just didn't see that in this tournament. Um, I said it before, like, I felt like everyone was just collectively having an off day for the entire tournament. But when Vodko decided to bring a roster with such, um, completely blanked on the word, with such experience, um, and players who've been there and they did it before, I mean, it was frankly basically the entire team that went to the World Cup, when you have players with that experience, even if everyone has one bad game, they should have been able to turn it around, right? That's the argument for bringing players who are so old is that they have that experience. But we didn't see that pan out for Vodko. So, you know, and I think we're going to come back to Vodko when we get through doing the game breakdown. But that is a very important note is that, you know, exactly that. The team had a lot of experience. But, you know, one thing we'll talk about in a little bit was did the team take the wrong roster in terms of not just this tournament, but did they actually hinder potential future tournaments by not getting younger players experience? Um, Because when you look at the pipeline, the U.S. has as strong of a pipeline as anybody in the world, if not the strongest pipeline of women's soccer players in the world. Um, And you usually want to use something like the Olympics to prepare and get your players experience for the World Cup. And I just think that they kind of botched it. Um, but we're going to loop back around to that, I think, because that that's going to be a real important talk. But we're going to keep on trucking and go to what was arguably my personal favorite game of the entire Women's Olympic tournament because I love nothing more than watching two teams who know that a draw will 100% advance them and do not want to be there. And that is Australia versus the U.S. with the whopping 0-0 draw where nobody wanted to be on the field and they both knew in the 70th minute that they could advance if neither one tried. What were your thoughts on watching that disaster? That, frankly, that was maybe the one and only game of the whole tournament that I was sad I woke up for. Like, right? <laughs> it was truly shocking. Like, And again, it goes back to the mentality of this team in that in my whole life, I don't ever remember a time when this women's team said we're going to be okay with a tie, right? It doesn't really matter if it changes the position in the group or it changes, you know, who we might play next in the tournament. You really need that momentum going into the knockout rounds. You need to be able to show teams, not just the team that's right in front of you, but possible future teams that you're facing that you're dominant and you know how to get it done at the end of the day. And I mean, we chose not to do that in this game and we really couldn't do it throughout the tournament. You know, I think... Personally, I would have rather had played hard that game to win, lost, and not advanced than whatever was put on the field. Because I think that what was put on the field was an embarrassment in terms of what you should expect in competitive games. I've never agreed with the concept of, well, we both know that a draw will advance us both in terms of placement. So if it's at the 75th minute and you're at zero and we're at zero, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, let's just 
kind of pass the ball back and forth in the name of competitive like advancement. Um, I don't think that that's the way anything should be settled. And I think that that needs to be monitored. And personally, I would say that should probably be sanctioned in some capacity if both teams are not willing to be competitive because it kind of dilutes the purpose of the competitive spirit. All that aside, um, yeah, I was very disappointed I woke up. In fact, I think at the 70th minute, I actually just went back to sleep <laughs> because at that point, it was pretty clear that both both teams were just going to pass this out and settle for advancement. But I, you're absolutely right. I cannot remember a time in my life where under any of the three previous coaches that settling for a draw and advancing would be okay. Um, more importantly, I don't remember a time where the concept of not trying was an acceptable concept. Yeah. And that blows my mind. I know. I mean, even in the She Believes Cup, right, which there are jokes abound for the seriousness of that tournament. But I mean, in the years we haven't won, players have been really hard on themselves and they've come out in the media and said that the, those were unacceptable losses that we accrued. Um, and again, when you look at these players were the ones who had such a strong, persistent mentality throughout the World Cup. I don't understand how the same people were looking at each other in the locker room and saying, we're going to be okay with a tie right now. Like, I don't know. To me, the difference between Jill Ellis and Vodko in that situation shouldn't have been that stark. But that's really the only thing I can point to, right? Is that a, a Vodko mentality that we're seeing right now? Is this going to be how he coaches the team moving forward? I don't know. And that's a very scary question. So that wrapped up our group stage. And honestly, I, you know, I didn't feel real great after the group stage. Um, I had a lot of concerns with Vladko. I had a lot of concerns with uh, the team. Um, the selection was glaring. The heat, which you have to know as the manager is going to be a factor when you're selecting players. Well, you got to know what you're walking into the environment. You know, that's that's part of your job as a manager. Um, I thought that that played a factor. And, you know, throughout the group stage, this team did not look like they were having fun. Nobody on this team looked like they were enjoying being where they were. Um, In fact, it looked to me like they felt this was more of a job than anything. And they just looked miserable. Um, And if you're not having fun, right, that, that I think that plays a part. So as we look back on the group stage, was there anything for you that made you kind of confident that this team was going to medal? Because I remember coming out of it. I I mean, I would be shocked if we medaled, especially looking at who our matchup was going to be going into the first knockout round. I was like, this, this is, you had a good run, write it off. Like, thanks. See you next time. Yeah. um, I completely agree. I mean, you're right. Especially going up against the Netherlands who this was kind of their revenge match for us from the world cup. They had something to prove coming right back at us. And I remember thinking like, well, at least I maybe don't have to wake up early anymore. Like I really did not see the way that we played in the group stage moving us forward against the Netherlands. But frankly, I think the Netherlands were one of our best games in the tournament. We we did kind of turn it around against them. And that's what's so frustrating about this entire tournament was there were games, moments where they looked like they should. Yeah. But then there were moments where they looked like they were lost and were looking for like the peewee soccer tournament and ended up at the Olympics. Like it was so frustrating because it, look, it's one thing, right? If the team just gets outplayed, like I don't mind losing. If the team gets outplayed and they lose, you know, that's fine. Brush it off, move on to the next one. It's a whole nother thing when it looks like we're not playing our best and that leads directly to a loss. Um, And I don't, I don't, I don't know who's to blame for that. I think a lot of people are, but I think at the end of the day, that falls on the coach. I think that, you know, if the players don't look prepared to play and if the tactics are poor and if the mentality is bad, that's a coaching issue for me. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree with you. And especially the first part of what you were saying that we didn't look like ourselves. I don't think at any point in the tournament, did it really look like the other team was tactically outplaying us and we just happened to be falling victim to that. I think the entire time we were really our own worst enemy. Um, and you're right. I guess that does kind of fall on the coaching, but again, I mean that I, I blame the players too. I don't know. I we'll get into it. <laughs> Let's get into the Netherlands. So, so many just general thoughts. <laughs> so as we move into the Netherlands, I will say the one surprising thing that was worrisome for me on both the players and the coaching front was the lack of reaction in the media following the losses and the poor play. You know, this team has always been one to be very vocal. Mm-hmm. So when the team comes out after like a loss 3-0 to Sweden or 
you know, a draw or what have you, and isn't like we promise this will never happen again and we get it and we apologize for making you wake up and watch this. We will not like fuck this up again like this. It's typically what the response has been on the previous, you know, teams. But this team kind of seems laissez-faire. It was like, ah, you know, it bounced off our shin here. You got a long lucky break there. Don't worry, we'll be better. We got it. Like, did that strike a chord with you at all? Absolutely. And I mean, especially in the Netherlands game when they scored first, I thought, I mean, this is it. I don't see us really coming back from it. Thankfully we did. We scored two goals, but then we couldn't keep that lead. They scored against us again. Um, And again, you talk about momentum, you talk about mentality. I think maybe in another year, if we'd had a different group stage um, reality that we went through, I don't think that we let the Netherlands get back into the game. Yeah, I have to agree. So you look at you look at, of course, the Netherlands match, the knockout match, which I I went in expecting, honestly, to lose and lose badly. Yep. <laughs> um, I agree. The Netherlands put in that first goal, and I was I was like, well, you know, we had a good run. Um, let's just don't want to talk about this again. Not really it's a good run, gonna, but we have yeah, a run. not really a good run. But like, we're just gonna push this aside, and you know, at least I don't have to wake up at like three a.m. anymore. And then you know, the U.S. scored two very quick back to back goals. And I was like, okay, well, maybe, maybe this is like the turning point, right? And then they couldn't hold on and finish. Um, Alyssa Nair like became a U.S. legend in these games. That was like the one highlight moment of the tournament for me was that Nair like just, in my opinion, I mean, they, it, it, she deserved gold. Yes. She deserved, like, I, for no other reason, I feel bad that she is not going to get to leave of the recognition she deserves, but she is a machine. Um, yeah. You know, I remember the the first penalty kick that they the, the Netherlands was given, I ex- fully expected that to, to go in. I mean, because the odds of getting saves, and especially in a run of play, not in spot kicks, but just a game penalty kick, you would fully expect those to go in. Yeah. Um. She made the save. Um, and then we, of course, you know, we we have really the 54th minute goal from the Netherlands. And then it kind of a whole lot of chances, but nobody really does anything. So, of course, it comes down to spot kicks. And you go on the spot kicks and, you know, you sit there as a U.S. fan and you think back to the last time that the U.S. went to spot kicks in the Olympics and Sweden flashes across your mind and... The spot kicks play, and then there makes her first save, and you're like, okay, and then another save, and you're like, surely. But you know, you've watched this team through the group stage, so you're in the back of your head of like, how are we going to screw this up? And they advanced. Now, I don't think they should have advanced, but they advanced. So, like, what were your <laughs> what were your thoughts on that roller coaster? Yeah, um, so much there. I mean, and if I'm not mistaken, I guess two cycles ago it was spot kicks against Japan that got us the silver, right? So we don't have the best track record correct in the olympics um and especially the way we've been playing you're right i thought surely we don't have the mental fortitude to get us through these pks um i completely agree with what you said about a listener i loved that moment for her um i thought she had a great tournament and especially after coming off that world cup where everyone was really doubting her um and comparing her to hope solo saying she wasn't that great saying she wasn't the best keeper in the u.s right now that she kind of got there by default you know there was so much criticism against her um and she didn't really have a whole lot of moments in the world cup to to step up and kind of prove that she needed to be there and i feel like that all happened in this game with the netherlands you're right the pk in the run of play i thought well this is going in this is it this is the end of the olympics but she makes that save um she you know has that great form for the five kicks i don't know it was just i loved it for her um and this is probably the first game in the tournament that i saw us wnt of old again with that mental fortitude to step up to not miss any penalties to really you know send it send us home i think yeah did they get one Block. Did we make all four? I don't think. I think we made. Four. I we I, I could find out. Let's let's get a <laughs> let's get a read on that. Um, we won the PK shootout. Oh, we just made all four. It, I think it didn't go. Yes, five. it looks like it was yeah. four two. Yes, yeah. we made all four. So nobody missed, and they made two, two saves. Like, Did we have one saved? No, we just didn't get to five. <laughs> yes. Um. So you know, same thing. Uh. You know, you come out of the Netherlands match, and you're like, all right, well. There were some moments they and maybe like maybe they're gonna find a way yeah, to, to pull like, this out of there. This is you a know, maybe. Turning point. Yeah. <laughs> and then 
we get to Canada and I, yay, yay, where do we begin with Canada? <laughs> um, you know, this was really a tale of like three separate games, in my opinion. It was <laughs> the first half, which, you know, again, by statistic measurements, the U.S. technically, I hate to use this term because it definitely didn't look like it, but technically by analytics dominated that that really from, from the entire first half. And then you get to the second half. And again, the U.S. had control of play until what will now go down as the penalty of, you know, eh calls um, <laughs> in the Olympics. And you look at it and you watch the penalty. And of course, we know Canada converts and they just go up one nothing. And then the team kind of flips on a switch that almost you ask, where had it been all game? Um, but they did the one thing that had been the basically the strategy all tournament, which was just cross the ball into the box and pray. Yes. Um, the amount of crosses that the team put in, in that first, in that last, you know, 10, 15 minutes of play. And really that entire game is, if you look at the, the, the graph, scary. I mean, it's almost as if Vladko literally pulled them aside and said, hey guys, strategy is just throw it into the box and pray. Um, what were your thoughts looking at the Canada match? And do you think that the right team advanced? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think we deserve to win that game. You're right. Maybe on paper, it showed that we did a lot better, but it, it still didn't look to me like we kind of deserved to win that match. Um, you know, I really feel for Davidson. She didn't have a good tournament. No one did, but she was kind of like the young defensive hope several years ago. Right. I don't know what this performance means necessarily for her future career. Um, but you're right. We, we flipped a switch a little bit after the PK. Um, we were pushing it forward a little bit more, but you're right. It was really just crosses in and it was kind of diving for a free kick too. Like if you didn't get the perfect cross in specifically, I'm thinking about Megan Rapino. I was super disappointed in her performance at the end of that game. Cause I felt like she spent more time on the ground than not. Um, and again, that's not a mentality that we've seen this team play with before, right? We are a very fast team. We've got, I mean, we're an older team, but we typically can outrun and we have, you know, great foot skills and we're able to really pick out those crosses and send them with intent as opposed to just sending anything in the box and hoping for the best. Um, so overall it was just, it was really disappointing to watch. I mean, I totally agree. I think that, you know, you look at if you look at the actual statistics from that game, you know, the U.S. outshot Canada 12 to three. They had 12 corners and their expected goals for was almost two. It's one point eight eight compared to Canada's point like five eight. So on paper, absolutely. The team played well. But just because on paper you played well doesn't mean that it looked like a cohesive effort. Um, and I'm just sitting here wondering, like. What what do you make of it? Because the team, in my opinion, underperformed. I mean, there's there's no there's no question about that. Um, I do have some concerns about their reaction after the match. Uh, Rapino's comment of "We should never lose to Canada," like that. While I appreciate the sentiment of like we, you know, should be great, I don't believe, especially in the women's game, that you should be dunking on your opponents if it's uncalled for in this situation. I think, you know, she should have been sad, but she absolutely should have congratulated Canada on getting their chance to goal because they absolutely outplayed us and they deserved it um, in terms of, you know, converting. The, this whole tournament for me can be summed up in the, the two terms, you know, missed opportunities. Um, this team had their chances. You can look at every single game and you can point to spots where they could have scored and could have changed the outcome. Sweden, they hit the post. At the end of the first half, which could have made it 1-1, could have changed the whole trajectory of the game. Uh, you look at the uh, basically the even the Canada match where a couple of chances just took bad bounces, but they didn't really put themselves in positions to be in the right spot. You look at any one of these matches and you can point to moments in each match where things could have gone right. And in any other situation with a different team of an iteration of the women's national team for the U.S. probably would have gone right. So... Knowing what we know about this going, now we're going to a bronze medal match. Was what do you take away like from all of this? The loss to Canada, like what do you make of everything? Um, 
It was rough. You're right. We also had, I think, seven goals called offside um, going into this bronze medal match, which is absurd, right? We had four in one game. Um, It was ridiculous, but I don't know the way you said it. It it kind of feels a little bit unlucky. Um, We didn't even talk about Nair getting injured um, in this Canada game, which was such a loss, especially after her PK performance. That's not to blame French at all. I'm not saying that Nair definitely would have saved that Canada or Canada PK. Um, and I mean, looking at that injury, I just like cringe just thinking about it. Um, that was, yeah, that it's was hard, hard to watch. watch. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it was just hard. I think the Canada game was more of what we had seen the whole tournament. Um, and I'd, ag- I'd agree even the, the comments after the game, um, was it after this game that Megan said that they just didn't really have joy going into this tournament? I think so. Yeah. Um, I thought that was that was really interesting. I mean, we could all see it <laughs> with the fact that they were finally deciding to address it. I mean, I'm surprised they hadn't kind of said anything sooner. Um, I don't know if she was using that as an excuse. I don't know. It's just all so mind-boggling thinking about what we expect from the women's national team. Yeah, I think that... How would this? This is tough because you look at what happened with these post-match pressers and you look at certain things and it kind of looked like at moments Rapino was the one managing the team. And, you know, she jumped in multiple times to save Blagco yeah. from press questions. Um, she gave the answers that you would expect to be given from a manager not a player. Um, And in all honesty, it's very likely that at some point she will be the manager of the U S women's (laughs) national team. I mean, if that's a job she wanted to pursue at some point, she could probably have it given, you know, her tactics and her mentality. Mm -hmm. Um, All that aside, I think that, yes, this was the moment where she came out and said for the first time publicly, we just didn't like have joy. And we're going to take a break here before we dissect the bronze medal match, but we're going to talk about, you know, do you think that the equal pay stressor put on this team had an impact on the fact that, you know, they might not have been having fun? Because when you think about it, you know, in their mind, anything less than a gold medal would immediately give critics ammo to say, well, this is why we aren't paying you equally, which is dumb, but is what happened. I mean, if you look at social media, what happened when they lost to Sweden, the whole Internet of men who are horrible decided <laughs> it was, you know, and you know which type of men I'm talking oh, about. I do. Decided that they were they were going to champion the cause of oh well they lost so we can't pay them equally. They lost one time in like you know the last two years, and the men aren't even at the Olympics. So you 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 look and you wonder did that play a factor? Was that insane amount of stress that they put on themselves and had put on them by the federation a factor in what ultimately caused them to look like they just weren't having fun? Did it become so much pressure to be perfect for? equal pay, perfect for continuing the narrative, perfect for whatever reason for all this pressure. Do you think that was a factor? I don't know. I mean, I've thought about this a lot. Um, And honestly, I think it would be understandable, right? That's a lot to have to manage, um, right? There were court filings ongoing um, happening while they were, um, I think it was after the Canada match um, that the newest filings went in um, and the men's team finally supported this whole um, endeavor that the women are taking on and said that it was very justified. Um, So I think that objectively, if you look at what the pressure probably is, it's easy to blame it on that. But this was also a factor going into the World Cup, right? But they, they really used it as fuel to prove that not only, I mean, equal pay in numbers, but they should be making, quite frankly, more than the men because they're performing a lot better. They really use that fuel. And I mean, Megan Rapinoe was telling 45 to F off, right? Like they really had so many other things. They had all the media attention on them in a way that, frankly, during the Olympics, because there are so many other sports and so many other stars and there's so many other storylines right now, all of the focus wasn't on the women's national team. Um, so if you were to ask me in which situation I would think that they would break during, I would have thought it would have been the world cup, seeing them come through the world cup. And again, as I've mentioned several times, a very similar group that went through the world cup going through this, I mean, maybe right. They're human. Maybe it's unfair for me to say that they should have handled the pressure a lot more. Um, but I would have expected them to given their past performance under pretty similar pressure. 
do you think that the lack of what is typically a very heavily pro United States crowd whenever they travel made an impact? Because we a lot of people say, you know, fans don't make a difference. But when you think about playing in an empty stadium versus playing with the supporters that you know are going to back you and try to push you over the edge when you get down into those nitty gritty last moments where it feels like, you know, you got nothing left in the tank. Do you think that the entire lack of fans made an issue? Because I believe the game against the Netherlands was actually held in front of fans um, and they ended up winning that match and they ended up, you know, Nair made the PK stop. Um, do you think the lack of a full stadium, as well as things like the overwhelming heat and other situations, made a difference for this team? Yeah, um, I've thought a lot about this, um, too. Jake is, you know, the AODC vice president. Um, I know a lot of people in AO and the, the people who frequently travel to these types of games. Um, and I think it, it probably was a factor, right? The U.S. is very used to having a very strong um, supporter culture around them, regardless of where they're playing in the world, regardless of what the match is that they're playing. Um, and I think that they're also kind of a beloved team around the world, right? I've never been to a game abroad, so I don't know if I'm completely overspeaking here, but it's it feels to me like they usually play such pretty soccer in such a dominant way. Um, and they're they're very lovable people, right? So it seems like a lot of people enjoy going to watch a USWNT game, even if they're not from America, because they enjoy supporting the team and watching what they typically put out onto the field. Um, so it, it very well could have been a factor not having fans. I don't think it's an excuse, right? Because every team is playing like that, right? And they've been playing like that for a year now, right? The NWSL and various leagues across the world don't have fans. So while it's unfortunate and might have been a little bit of a factor, I don't think that we can really write off their performances based on it. And so, of course, you know, I don't really want to talk about the bronze medal match as much because it kind of speaks for itself. The team showed up. They looked decent, yeah. which was surprising because you wonder where was this all tournament? Um, and you kind of shake your head and like, all right, I guess. Cool. <laughs> um, and you kind of, you know, they won bronze and we're not going to get too deep in the weeds of that. Um, a medal is a medal, you know, but we come back around to my original question for you which was after all that does bronze feel like one deserved and two do you feel like we you know when we look back on this olympic tournament this will be viewed as yay a medal or oh my god a bronze <laughs> i think it will absolutely be viewed as oh my god what was that performance right thinking back five years ago you're it was a very different tournament. We didn't medal, but I'm so much prouder of the way that team performed, right? I don't look back at that tournament and think badly necessarily, other than the fact that it was the first major tournament we didn't medal in. But this tournament has been such a letdown. And there are so many potential factors why, and I'm so excited to finally be able to like do an overview and really dive deep. Um, but one thing that's been really interesting to me just kind of looking on Twitter and reading articles and things like that. Um, and I've definitely also caught myself doing it many times in this podcast is so much of the performance is kind of bl blamed on the players. And we, we talk about Vlogco and the, the roster he brought and the subs that he was making. Um, but I don't really understand why he's not getting more attention and why more of the blame isn't being put on him as we've kind of alluded to in this podcast he's the one big difference between the team that dominated in the world cup and this team right here and even while we were going through the world cup people were calling for jill ellis's head right it was in the middle of the tournament and i mean probably the same men that we referred to earlier but people were saying that she didn't know what she was doing and she wasn't making the right tactical decisions and that she didn't deserve to be coaching the women's national team but she won the world cup with Right. And she still got criticism over what she was doing. So the fact that Vlaco is not really in the light and not really the person who's receiving all the blame is so interesting to me. So let me let me ask you this, and this is going to be a very straightforward question. So just brace yourself. 
Do you think it's because he's a man? Do you honestly believe that if Vladka was a woman, he would be, or she, in this case, would be getting all of the heat that Jill Ellis got for winning the World Cup? Or do you think that because Vladka's a man, he's kind of just getting benefit of the doubt? And now, man, the women just didn't perform. Yeah, I mean, that's really how it feels. And I'm not saying that anyone's doing it intentionally, but if you take a step back and look at how gender bias plays a role in our everyday society. Um, it's hard to look at the fact that we have a direct analysis of um, two years ago, the woman in charge is getting blamed while she's objectively doing better. And now all things being similar, the man kind of isn't. And I don't think it's an excuse that, you know, he just took over this team or anything like that. Um, I, I really don't know. I mean, I hate to just shout, you know, gender bias, right? I think that some people use that as, as a scapegoat. Um, but it's, it's definitely kind of in my mind is that might be at least one of the factors. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. So I have been very vocal about the fact that personally, I don't think Flacco should remain coach of this team. Yeah. Um, I think that, as I said earlier in the podcast, we should treat this in a lot of ways that major footballing nations treat their men's team when they fail to perform, which is you know, if you, it's a different story, right? If you just get unlucky or beat, like, okay, that's a different story. But even then, some soccer nations, that's just tough. Like, sucks to suck. Yeah, Yeah, look at Mexico. Uh, But I don't think that's what's happened here. And I don't think Black is getting nearly enough blame. And it's it's mind-boggling because, in my opinion, his, his sole job was to, one, know the environment you're going to, right? Like, you need to know that you're going into Japan in the middle of summer, which means it's going to be hot, which means you should probably plan to bring people who, oh, I don't know, aren't like 40 plus, <laughs> um, which is not a knock so much as to say that, you know, heat exhaustion over a very compressed tournament. It is a very fast paced, not a lot of break time tournament because you have to fit in three group matches plus the whole knockout stage in like a week and a half, right? So you get a day, two days of rest max, and then you're back out in the middle of the heat. It was so bad that Sweden and Canada asked for their match to be moved in the gold medal match as to avoid being in the ridiculous heat. So you have to know that going in as a factor, right? Like if you as the manager are unaware of that when you're factoring in your team selection, that's a huge red flag. One, two, the substitutions and tactics were god awful. I mean, it's it seems like he did not know what he was doing. Yeah. He wasn't very animated on the sideline. His substitutions were questionable at best and downright scary at worst. Um, I don't know if you asked Vladko to tell you what his formation was. He could tell you <laughs> what his formation was. To me, it looked like just throw players out there and pray for the best. Yeah. And the difference is the 45 games that they won – Prior to the tournament, they didn't really beat anybody worth like much of their standing in a serious competitive environment. They beat Mexico twice in the sendoff series, which if you look back at it now, after what we watched and really look how they played, did not look that great. Um, And you have to ask yourself, you know, sure, the women may not have performed, but whose job is it to make them perform? You know, whose job is it to tell them to basically pull them aside at halftime and be like, look, I know we're down. But we're the U.S. fucking women's national team. We've done this. We deserve to be here. And let's go out there and prove it. And at the end of the day, in my opinion, that falls on the manager. Um, I just look, people point to his inexperience. OK, well, then why was he hired? Yeah. Right. Like you don't I don't I don't care what your experience level was coming in. You've got the job now and the expectations don't change based off of what experience you brought in. Um, so in my opinion, I think you're right. And I think it's 100 percent because he's a man. I think that if he was a woman. He would have been fired. I mean, like straight up, like what the second, I don't know if he would have made it to the bronze medal match to be completely honest. Um, And the difference is, like I said, Jill Ellis, when she had the poor worst performance in us women's history at the Olympics had already come off of a world cup. Yeah. And even then was still getting questionable decision. But in my opinion, that's what saves her job is that she had already won the world cup. Blacko hasn't won anything. Like, and he hasn't looked convincing. Um, He has done poorly on answering questions and he's been completely silent since the damn thing ended. (laughs) Um, And I just, I personally believe that, and I hate to say this, 
I don't know if the U.S. Soccer Federation is trying to torpedo the damn team. I really don't because I I question why in this situation a bronze medal is acceptable with the team that was brought. And the biggest thing for me is the team selection should be fireable on its own. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you look at very comparable, the men's team, right, and you look at what um, Greg Berhalter has accomplished this summer – you say that it's what Greg Bellhalter has been able to accomplish this summer. You don't credit the team um, who won the nation's league and who just won the gold cup, right? You're, you're complimenting his management of those two teams and the tactics that he was able to deploy and things like that. Um, so I think that very directly that, as you were saying, should be the exact same criticisms that we have of Lotko and I think you're right. It's hard to identify exactly what the tactics he wanted to roll out with this team were. It was almost like he was too aware of the team that he was inheriting and he was really afraid to make changes. And I think this is really interesting when you broadly look at the men's and the women's game and how each side across the world approaches the Olympics, right? The men's side has the age cap. So you need to be bringing a younger roster and it really is about youth development. And you can have a couple key veterans. I don't remember the exact number. It's maybe two. I believe three. it's three. Yeah. Um, people who can be above, I want to say 23. Um, yes. Yeah. But the women, you don't have that. And when you look at how how that happened historically, right? The women didn't just have comparable large tournaments, right? The men's national teams have a lot more larger tournaments, both regionally. um, And then the world cup has a much longer history on the men's side that they were able to use the Olympics as this kind of development tournament. And then the women's side, you don't really see that, but frankly, I think I would have liked to see it from the women a little bit more because I think we, do have a lot of depth and a lot of younger talent that Vladko could have pulled from and mixed it with um, a more experienced team. And I think we would have possibly performed better because as you said, it's very hot. There were a lot of games happening in a very short period of time. Um, Younger players, you know, their bodies are just better equipped to handle that. Um, And then also, it kind of feels a little bit like we're having to roll over and start from ground zero. I mean, even the quote unquote younger players on this team are kind of in their mid twenties. I would have liked to see some younger players being brought in. So that way, when the turnover of the Carly Lloyds and the Megan Rapinos and um, the Becky Sauerbruns, as they are turning over, you have people who have learned under them a little bit, but also got their feet wet in the Olympics in some major competitive matches. And then are just being thrown in the deep end with a lot of other players who are new to the experience. So that's exactly it, right? That's, that's a whole nother big point is that you use the Olympics on the women's side as a chance to help with turnover, right? We, what we don't want is to basically, like you said, be starting from scratch. And that's where we're at because this, no new players got experience in super competitive matches and you could say what you want for friendly it's just that and the other but it doesn't compare with uh olympics or world cup and the all grave cup i will put a close third to the olympics of the world cup because it is still a very prestigious women's tournament but you know this this team missed a golden opportunity because we're we're at the tail end of this of this group, right? Like this, yeah. this is probably the end of that core group. And now we're bringing in players who, well, did not get experience. And I think this could hurt them down the line potentially at the next World Cup because you look at what they're doing and they're essentially going to have to bring a whole new unit up to speed. And I get what people will say to this, which is that, oh, well, the US B and C team is better than some countries' A teams. And that's all well and good. But if you're not getting them experience, then, you know, you end up withering under under uh, pressure. Like the greatest example I can give is look at the men's side, right? Like the men are where they are at now because they, one, missed the World Cup, but they took the opportunity since then to build the younger players up and start a pipeline. Yeah. The women have always had a pipeline, but have never had to rely on putting that placement in there where it's always just been they've had star players bring them up in and out have star players bring them up in and out the problem is now the rest of the world is catching up exactly um we you know eight twelve years ago it was really the u.s germany and then a mountain and everybody else (laughs) 
Like, I mean, and you even even Brazil with some of their, you know, amazing players, not at the level as a full team. Now you look at Sweden, the Netherlands, pretty much all of UEFA, really. Um, they're catching up yeah. and their their federations are starting to pour money into the women's game. And the U.S. is going to have to change their tactics or we're going to have to get used to seeing what we're seeing, in my opinion. I, I, I mean, I completely agree. Um, even when you look at the women's domestic leagues across the world, right, they're all um, really picking it up. And I think that we, just like you said, we can't just rely on these big names who are going to cycle through and just win games for us. I mean, uh, other countries aren't afraid of us anymore. And looking at this tournament, right, that's exactly why, like, all countries really that there is still like a pretty big gap between the top tier, a pretty close second tier, and then kind of everyone at the bottom, but you can kind of see those teams at the bottoms are still the ones where their federation aren't giving them the support. Um, so if you look at kind of these two top levels of like the elite talent and then the teams right below them, I think any team in those two groups right now can look at this women's national team and say, we could actually probably be competitive against them. Um, and that's scary. You're right. I think we we really did get complacent. Um, and we really do need to look at how we are developing our pipeline and get them in a little earlier. And to me, that is possibly like the silver lining of this tournament um, is that hopefully going forward, we don't just rely on those older big names. And we do really have more of a cycle coming through and more of a mindset of, who really deserves to be here. I don't care, you know, how long you've been with the team. I don't care what you have provided us in the past. Like who deserves to be here today? Was that Carly Lloyd, right? Was that Alex Morgan, who, I mean, is great, but frankly doesn't score a lot of tournament goals. So, yeah, you know, those um, have been really cycled through for younger players. I mean, and to do one better, was it Megan Rapino? Yeah. Like, it, you know, I, I understand how important she's been for the team and for the squad. But at the end of the day, like, you gotta, you gotta say goodbye at some time, exactly. right? You can't play forever. Um, you know, I wouldn't have mind if Rapino went for the leadership quality yeah. at a bunch of younger players. Like, that's, that's okay. Like, you gotta have a veteran or two to get the younger players and help keep them steady. I think that we missed a really golden opportunity. Um, no pun intended. Um, and I think that it's going to hurt us. My question for you is, do you think Blacko will still be the coach at the World Cup? Do you think he deserves to still be the coach at the World Cup? Separate questions. Um, I think, will he? Probably. Um, I don't see him them not giving him another opportunity. Um, I mean players really they talk about enjoying playing under him um so just from like past interviews the players have given under him i could see them kind of rallying around him and saying that he needs to stick around um generally in the next several months to year i wouldn't be surprised if something came out that there was some type of locker room turmoil that we really haven't been privy to yet right we talked about the equal pay act uh, or the equal pay things that are going around the lawsuit. Um, there's also a lot of um, social justice issues that are going on yeah. now that have been very, I can imagine, hotly contested within the locker room because there are a lot of very differing opinions. Um, and we, I mean, we saw that play out today at the bronze medal game, right? It was after the national anthem that everyone decided to take a kneel, everyone being the players on the field, the coaching staff, the referee staff, everyone not being Carly. Except. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you can't tell me. And then you have players like Crystal Dunn, who has just frankly carried way more than she showed up on her back and consistently publicly said that I believe my talents are better utilized elsewhere on this team. And she's probably right about that. Right. I think even just moving her forward a little bit could have had such an impact on this team. Um, but her not really getting that chance and not ever really rising to be the face of a team when she absolutely probably deserved to be. So, you know, these are other things going on in the background that I think probably had a larger impact than what we've been seeing publicly. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it comes out later that it really kind of was a toxic environment. I was a little bit of a tangent um, to answer your initial question. Do I think Blodko deserves to be the 
coach, I would say, no, I'd love to see somebody else come in and take charge, but I don't think I'm going to get my way. Yeah. I mean, I think that pretty much sums it up, right? Like you look, you look at, um, really, I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think that this, look, I'll be completely blunt. This has been a hard tournament for a lot of reasons. The no fans, the being a year later, like the complete pandemic state of the world. Like I get it. All right. The team could be forgiven for not winning gold in these situations. That's before you factor in that things at home are not great. Um, you know, it's just, it's things really around the world are kind of going to hell in a handbasket. Um, all that being said, you're one of your jobs as the manager of a team is to mitigate and handle those off the field issues and know when you're bringing in toxicity to a locker room and, and have the wherewithal to have those conversations with players and get them into the team first mentality. Um, if it does come out that the, the locker room was toxic, which I have to believe it was, I mean, you, the team just didn't look like they were having fun. Um, you know, I think that that is indicative of two things. One, that that's another reason that the manager needs to be changed to somebody who can handle this sort of a issue because it's not easy. I, I don't want to make it sound like it's yeah. very easy to manage this Absolutely. amount of ego and these types of situations. However, when you are the manager for a team of the caliber of the United States women's national team, it is an expectation and more than likely a requirement that you know how to handle high stakes, high pressure situations and egos like this. Yep. And you could say he doesn't have the experience, which then comes back around to, well, then why flag go? Exactly. Um, and that's the worrisome part for me. Um, overall, looking back at the tournament, I think that one of two things is going to happen here. Either we're going to look at this as a turning point, kind of like what happened with the men when they missed the world cup and it'll be a wake up call or, you know, at the next world cup, we'll be right back here having this exact same conversation about what went wrong. Um, as we're running, running down here, you know, Sam, what would you say is the one word that's going to remain, you know, remind you and stick with you to describe what you witnessed from the entire Olympics regarding the U S women's national team. If you could tie it up and just use one word here. That's tough. Um, but the first word that came to mind was disappointing. I think yeah. almost every single aspect of every single thing that went on during this tournament was pretty disappointing. Um, I'd have to say dysfunctional. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, besides the disappointment, right? Because you're not going to win every tournament. I get that. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it sucks, but I get that. Um, it, for me, it comes down to, again, the play on the field did not warrant the the team that we expected um you know it's i think that we need to really do a lot of soul searching as a as a soccer country and really ask ourselves you know is this is this acceptable and if this was flipped and this was the men's team for example and they had a catastrophic showing of this magnitude if they had won and been the reigning world champions would this have been deemed acceptable? And my answer, I believe, I think everybody's answer would be outright no. Um, so closing thoughts for you on the U.S. Women's Olympics here, I'll let you have the floor. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, I just, I hope it's a sep second option. I hope that we really take a hard look at who we are um, as a soccer nation on the women's side. I hope that we acknowledge that there were a lot of things that didn't, come up to par and meet expectations. Um, and we really do something about it. I think this is an opportunity. Um, and it's not as drastic as not making the world cup, right? It's an opportunity where we fell short of expectations and we still want a medal. So I think that all hope is not lost. Um, we did admittedly trip over backwards into a bronze medal, um, but we're still there, right? I think that we're still a pretty good competitive team, across the world. Um, I would just like to see us take it to the next level, right? We were always setting the standard for women's soccer across the world. Um, and everyone's kind of met that standard. I'd like to see us push it again and kick the bar up another notch. Um, and fingers crossed that that happens. Put you on the spot here. Will the U S women repeat as world cup champions based off of where they are currently in your mind? Oh man. <laughs> I mean, what we saw through this tournament, no, <laughs> right? I don't think we would get there. Um, but the talent that we have in the pipeline, 
Um, I think we absolutely could repeat and I'd love to see it. And I, it's hard to say definitively right now, cause there are so many factors, right? Do they get the chance? Is the coach the same? We've already talked about all these things. Um, but as things stand right now, like if the world cup were to happen tomorrow, uh, I wouldn't be too optimistic. So why don't you tell everybody where they can find you and where they could find tried and true and all your plugs and such. <laughs> Absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for having me on. Um, it was a blast to be able to talk about this, right. Kind of commiserating together. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciated it. Um, so my name's Sam Kasner. You all can uh, find me on Twitter at Sammy Kaz. That's S A M M Y K A S um, for all things national soccer related dc united washington spirit um leeds united bachelorette right i kind of know <laughs> about it um dc local news um everything like that um and then as you mentioned i am co-host on tried and true which is a dc united post-game podcast um so we try our best to go live after every single dc united match home and away um, it's me and three guys, and we basically just bring you our hot takes from the game. We do an analysis on what we witnessed on the game. We point out uh, specific players and how they did um, award our man of the match. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of hot takes, hot emotions. Um, and I know that Switch the Pitch um, is you know national, so I'd encourage if you have an MLS team, still come check out Tried and True when you play DC United. We've had fans of other teams in our comments, um, and we absolutely love going back and forth with other fans. So even if you're not a DC United uh, fan, I'd encourage you to check us out. Can confirm they put on a great show over there, and Sam is an amazing follow for everything, especially those Bachelorette hot takes. <laughs> Never a dull moment on Sam's Twitter feed. So real quick, I want to thank everybody for joining us on the Switch to Pitch podcast, a podcast for those of us with resting pitch face. I want to say thanks to 123 Scream and Jana Pochop for our podcast anthem. You, can, of course, can send us an email at contact at switchtopitchsoccer.com. Shout us out on Twitter using our mailbag hashtag, which is RPFMailbag. Or you can reach out to us directly on either of our Twitters. You know, we again want to thank you so much. Switch to Pitch has some amazing articles. You can find us on Twitter at Switch to Pitch One. And of course, at switchthepitchsoccer.com. Facebook is at switchthepitchsoccer as well. Again, thank you guys so, so, so much for joining us. And we will see you guys next time. And thank you again to Sam. Thank you.